This anointed teaching by Apostle Theo Volmerans comes to you from Christian Family Church International. Father, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity we have as your children to come together and worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for the rich word of God. As I come to teach this morning, I make it known that I'm not trusting or depending on limited human abilities, but I am trusting and depending on you, Holy Spirit. Therefore, I receive the anointing of your Spirit upon my mind that I might grasp the revelation that will rise in abundance from my heart within. I thank you for supernatural recall of the Word of God. I believe that your Word will flow from my mouth smoothly, accurately, clearly, without hindrance from anything, carried by your anointing, your power, and your love to each and every person's mind. Bring understanding, removing confusion, and that your word will enter every heart, causing faith to rise and fear to leave. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise, the honor, the glory for all that is revealed and accomplished through your word, by your spirit, and through your word here today in the name of Jesus. And all those of the Lord said, Amen. Amen. This morning's message is titled, God's Love. Mercy and patience is beyond measure. Say that. God's love, mercy and patience is beyond measure. Psalm 139, verse 13, from the New Living Translation. Now, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to that uh, portion of Scripture and make sure you make a note of this verse or passage or chapter because it's going to be a great blessing to you through the years. New Living Translation. God talking about how he created you in the womb in this portion of scripture. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born, before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book, before I was born. Say this, before I was born, in the book of Acts, the life that God had planned for me is recorded. Folks, God's going to, we are going to read about ourselves in the book of Acts in eternity to come, just like we do now about Paul and Luke and all those wonderful people and Peter in the book of Acts we have in our Bible. Because the book of Acts is the only book in the Bible that's not complete. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They are innumerable. I can't even count them. 
They even outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up in the morning, you're still with me. So this God is thinking about me all the time. Every moment of every day. Now we're going to go to Luke chapter 15 and verse 11 from the New King James. Here we're going to read a parable spoken from the lips of Jesus. He's going to share with us the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father. If you want to know what God's heart is all about, listen closely. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. Jesus said that. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Give me my inheritance. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with practical living. But when he had spent all, there rose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine, to feed the pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. No one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, now quite clearly there we learn he was not in his right mind. When he came to himself, when he came to his right mind, he thought, what on earth am I doing in this pigsty eating pig food? He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I'll arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father, and when he was still a great way off, say this, when he was still a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion. Now that word compassion is more than just love. That word compassion drives one to action. It compels one to intervene in the person's dilemma. When he saw him a great way off, his father saw him and he had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So we don't know how far the father ran, how far the father ran. It might have been one or two or three kilometers. He was a great way off when he first saw him in the distance. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and no longer worthy to be called your son. And he was about to say, make me like one of your hired servants. When the father interrupted him. Not listening to any of that. But the father said to his servants, 
bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. Now these five things that he did, ran and kissed him, put a ring on his finger, robe on him, sandals on his feet, and then ate the fattened calf. All those five steps are steps that one would take when entering a covenant with somebody where you own everything they own and they own everything you own. You share all assets, liabilities together. The two lives become one life. Evidently, the son lost that status and now he's being reinstated into covenant. And this fattened calf was prepared for somebody special who might come, somebody very important who might come unexpectedly, and the father might want to enter covenant with them. But he killed that covenant calf for his son to eat the covenant meal. And bring the fattened calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to marry. So this refers to both the backslider and also to those who have never known the Lord at any time. Now his older brother, the older son, was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fattened covenant calf. But the older brother was angry and would not go into the party. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him, come on in, join in the celebration. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment any time. I have been faithfully doing everything you've asked me to do. And I've never disobeyed God. I've lived a holy, godly life. And yet, you never gave me a young goat. In other words, a skinny goat. Because a young goat would be skinny. With no meat on it. You never even gave me a skinny goat. But you killed a fattened calf for my brother. You never gave me a skinny goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. Hmm. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. Interesting. Everything I own belongs to you. You could have had a fattened calf any time you wanted one. Everything I own is yours. 
We can prove that in this portion of Scripture. We just read it. Go back to the beginning. Please put up on the screen Luke 15, verse 12. We just read this. And the younger said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So the father divided to them, both, to them, his livelihood. So the father gave the oldest son and the youngest son everything he owned. He split it down the middle. And so this older son never took advantage of all that he owned. And there are so many Christians today who are like that old brother. They live godly lives. They serve in the house of the Lord. But they don't ever take advantage of what Jesus paid for at Calvary. They don't ever receive the blessings of God. For some reason, they think they don't deserve to be blessed by God. Or they feel they have to work to earn God's blessing. They don't believe that He's a merciful God of grace and love. And you must understand this. If we don't understand the grace of God, family, and that everything that he has is ours freely because of Calvary, we're never going to be blessed. We've got to come to that place in life where we realize, yes, we must serve him, but we get our blessings by trusting in God's grace with faith. And so, it was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Now let's think about this parable. The younger son asked for the inheritance that he did not deserve because his father was not dead yet. This was only his to inherit after his father had died. This prodigal son insulted his father because he asked for his inheritance before his father died. And that insinuates, I wish my father was dead so I can have what belongs to me. After wasting his inheritance, he began to eat pig food with the pigs. And then he came to his right mind. He made a decision to repent and go home to his father. While he was a long way off, his father saw him and ran to him. Now this is a story about the heart of God running to someone who repents. And that tells us that God is waiting for us to repent. If there's anyone here today who's grown cold in heart, or somebody who's not been fellowshipping with God altogether, or somebody who doesn't know God at all. This tells us that God is waiting for the moment we say, Sorry, Lord. And that moment we do. God runs to us to restore us and to heal us and bring us back into covenant relationship. 
His mercy is unconditional and cannot be measured. The father fell on him and kissed him, put a robe on him, a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, killed the fattened calf. All covenant steps. Even though the father was embarrassing himself in front of his neighbors and peers, he still lifted up his tunic, skirt, whatever you call that thing they used to wear, cloak, and he ran one, two, three kilometers to his son. Now all the neighbors who knew that his son, wishing his dad was dead, and seeing the father run out, they were shocked because the father was embarrassing himself before all of them. And he did it to protect his son from embarrassment. Because the moment he kissed his son, no one could point a finger at him and criticize him again because when the father has forgiven him, who can condemn those that God forgives? And this is what we must understand, family of God. When God forgives a backslider or a sinner, that's when we have to stop criticizing immediately. How can we condemn those that God has forgiven? And be careful to point the finger at folks who are messed up because you don't know. They might have repented. That's why the Bible says don't judge, but rather pray for them. The father refused to allow his son to be a slave or a servant in his house. He insisted that his son be reinstated into full relationship with himself. This clearly displays God's love and God's mercy and God's patience with us. Clearly displays God's mercy, love, and patience with us. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. So Jesus is telling us what the Father God is like in the story. The Son represents both the lost and the unsaved and the backslider. The Father must have been waiting for His Son since He left home. The Father must have been looking across those hills and valleys, waiting for His Son to appear on the horizon day after day. So may I ask you a question, please, family, family of God. For those of you that have a house here this morning, can you tell me what the value is of your home? If you own a house, can you tell me the value of it? Well, the truth is, your house is only worth what somebody will pay for it. It'll go to the highest bidder the one who's prepared to pay the most money, and that will be the value of your house. So we really can't determine the true value of our house. We can estimate. The agent can come, out, come around and say, look, I think we can sell it for so much. But really, 
The test comes when they sign to buy. Are you, are you with me? So I want to ask you a question then. If that's how we determine the value of our house, what is the value of one lost soul? What did God pay for that lost soul to be saved? He gave Jesus. What is Jesus worth? Remember, He is the creator of all things. He spoke the sun, the moon, the stars into existence. He spoke the earth into existence. And then He created man and woman. And all the animals, the birds, the insects, the fish. Christ did all that. The Bible said nothing was created. There was not created through Christ. The Father gave authority. Christ spoke it. The Holy Spirit went out and brooded on the waters. All three were involved in creation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But nothing was created without Christ's involvement. And the Bible says all things are held together by His Word. In other words, all things continue. Even the lost unsafe person who condemns Christ and uses His name as a curse word, his whole life remains intact by the energy coming forth from Christ who holds all things in existence right now. Not only he created all, but he maintains it all. That's who Christ is. And that's the one that gave his life on the cross to purchase you and me. That's what God was willing to give to pay for a lost soul because that was the price of that soul and that's the value of that soul in the eyes of God. That's what he paid for it. No wonder Jesus said in John 17 and verse 23 that God loves Jesus and us the same. He loves you and Jesus as much equally the same. So, say this, when I win a soul and bring that unsafe person to God, I'm giving God a gift worth the value of Jesus Christ. So what is your value in the eyes of God? Well, think about it. There must be more than 6 billion people on the planet. Somebody can give me the exact number, I'm sure. B with a billion. B for ball. And yet, you are unique in that six million. You have your very own DNA. No one else has your DNA. So God, gave, in calculating everything, when you are born, He said, I've got to give you a DNA that's different from everybody else. And then not only that, he gave you a fingerprint that's different from everybody else. He thought, okay, these are all the fingerprints there are. I've got to make one that's totally new here now. Bang. Are you checking me? And not only that, you look totally different. He gave you a completely different look. Not only that, you think different to anybody else on the planet. 
Not only that, you have a different nature to anybody on the planet. Not only that, you have a different skill set to anybody else on the planet. And then you also have different abilities to anybody else on the planet. So, it's obvious, is it not, that God clearly thought through when he designed you. God clearly thought through when he designed you. You are not an accident. He created you with a lot of thought in mind, as you read in Psalm 139 this morning. That's why God is willing to pay such a price for you. If you were the only person in the world, Jesus would have died just for you. Judas Iscariot sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He sold Christ for 30 pieces of silver. Hmm. Unfortunately, we have many descendants of Judas Iscariot in our world today who are still willing to give up Jesus in their lives for even less than 30 pieces of silver. They want to hang on to things in their life that amount to nothing rather than coming to church and serving God. They backslide and say, oh, come when I'm a bit older. I just want to enjoy this little sin for a little longer. They sacrifice the worth of Jesus. Then the unsaved will say, well, I'm only 20 years old. I'll live it up. And when I'm 50 or 60 or 70, then I'll come to Jesus. They're selling Jesus like Judas Iscariot did. I'm reminded of a story of a man who lived 150 years ago, born and raised in England, immigrating to America. And so he sold all his riches and bought a great big diamond. Gone and bought a boat and sailing across the ocean to America with all of his great riches in one diamond. And the first day went up on the boat and the deck and stood up in the front of the boat, watched the um, ocean coming and going. He took out his beautiful diamond from its container, held his hands, glistening in the sunshine and admiring it. And then people started gathering around. They couldn't help looking at this huge stone. And uh, so the next day he did the same thing and a bigger crowd came. Then the third day he was so intrigued by this huge crowd that he thought, I wonder what happened if I just threw it up in the air a little bit like that. And when he did it, he went, <clears throat> you know. So then the fourth day came, and now there's a huge crowd of people around him. So he thought, I'll have a little fun. I'll throw it up real high and see how they react. I'll keep my eye on their faces. So he threw it up real high, was watching their faces, grasping. And of course, he took his eye off the ball and dropped it. it bounced on the boat floor and then over the edge. And he ran the rail, and he saw it going down, 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 hit the water, and disappear in the blue ocean. 
And in a flash, in a moment of time, he realized what a very, very foolish thing he had just done. He was totally crushed, embarrassed in front of all those people as he realized he's lost his entire fortune and now he's a poor man. How foolish that looks to us. And yet there are so many of us doing exactly that with our soul. Doing exactly that with our soul. We're willing to risk our soul instead of serving God. It's up to us to reach out to those foolish people and bring them back to Christ or bring them to Christ because they are not in their right mind. They're not in their right mind. The older brother would not go into the party even though his father was begging him. The older brother was offended. He had bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, and pride in his heart. He did not depend on the grace of God, the mercy of God to meet his needs. He insisted on earning everything with his own ability. He wanted nothing that he didn't earn and work for. And he was angry with his father for what he had done to his young brother. And he was jealous of what his brother had received. He was messed up. Messed up. He was not willing to show mercy and compassion to his brother who was lost on his way to hell in a foreign country. He did not rejoice when that lost soul came back into fellowship. And if I really love you today, I need to say something that will prepare you for the day that you stand before God on Judgment Day. That's one thing you cannot avoid. That's one meeting you will not miss. It's Judgment Day. Standing before God. And you will not be late. That day is sooner now than it ever has been. Go figure. And... I can't say that I have prepared you for that day if I haven't motivated you to reach out to lost sinners. I have not, if I have not motivated you to reach out to lost sinners, then I haven't prepared you for judgment day. Your family, they're not saved. Your friends, they're not saved. Those that you work with that are not saved. You go to school with, they're not saved. Your neighbors who are not saved. It's up to you and me to bring them to church so they can get saved. And then disciple them, take them to growth track. Go with them. I watched a 45-minute video of a Spanish lady in Bogota, Colombia. 45-minute long, I can't tell you the whole story, testimony that she gave because time has not allowed me. But she died, went to hell, went to heaven and then stood before Jesus. And the Lord Jesus said to her, 
you will have to go back to the earth. I cannot let you into heaven now. If I did, you would go in by the skin of your teeth. If you went to heaven now, you'd go in by the skin of your teeth. The lady asked Jesus, why is that? And Jesus said, because you have not one, one single soul to me, and nor have you discipled one single soul for me. You have not won one soul and discipled them for me. So therefore, you're going to heaven by the skin of your teeth. I have to send you back to win at least one soul. This is a true story. You can watch it on YouTube. I gave you the details here. You'll find it if you look for it. Second Peter 3, 9. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't choose some and not others. He wants all to repent and come to salvation. John 4, 35. Do not think the work of harvesting will not begin until the summer ends. Don't think harvesting is in the future. Look around you. Vast fields are ripening all around us and are ready now for harvest. The harvesters, the soul winners, are paid good wages. Say so the soul winners are greatly blessed by God throughout eternity. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit of their harvest is people brought to eternal life. Say this, the harvest God wants is lost souls. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? What joy awaits the soul winner on that day? John 15, 8, the Lord Jesus said, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, that you bring in a lot of souls, so you'll, you will be my disciple. Pastor Bev and I, along with the full-time pastors of this church, are trusting God to double this church this year in the name of Jesus. All we have to do to achieve doubling this church this year is for each person to bring someone to church this year and disciple them. Now, I didn't have that many amens this time. Let's make a quiet decision today. Let's use our faith to trust God to bring somebody to church. If we can trust God for finances, we can trust God to bring a soul to church. If we can trust God for our healing, we can trust God to bring somebody to church. If we can trust God for our family needs, we can trust God to bring somebody to church. Let's use our faith and pray for our neighbors who are lost, our lost friends. The ones who work with that don't know Jesus. And when we spend time praying for them, God will show us the right moment to invite them to church. And when they come, they'll get saved. Are you out there, family? Let us accept this responsibility and begin immediately to intercede. Now, how many of you will join with me in this challenge? Can I see your hand? I would like you to pray with me then.
and make a commitment to God. Can we do that? Raise your right hand. Say, Father God, I raise my right hand in the solemn pledge to pray for all those lost people that I know. And then at the right time, you will let me know. I'll invite them to come with me to church. Even if I have to bring them, I'll do so. I am determined to bring to you one person this year who will find Jesus. And I know when I bring that gift to you, I'm bringing you a gift that you value as much as you value Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for helping me. I believe I will do it in the name of Jesus. Praise God. Give the Lord some praise in the house. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Fulmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com.